This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here coming your way. Thanks so much for being with us. The Brian Kilmeade Show up and running on this Thursday. Steve Mosher will be joining us. You probably don't know his name, but you should know what he wants to talk about. It should influence and uh, impact your life. He's president of the Population Research Institute and author of Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream in the new uh, is the new threat to world order. He's lived there for a while, and what he says about this virus and what they're heading and what they plan on doing with Joe Biden is something you want to take notes about and sadly would expect. We're also going to take your calls at one 408 7669 The first day, full day of the president, uh, President Biden's regime, he's going to... Um, he is going to go to a prayer service shortly. He's going to deliver remarks about the administration's COVID-19 response. Uh, he has Amazon now on his side. Isn't that interesting? Amazon didn't really realize that they could help until Joe Biden became president. And Speaker Pelosi holds a press conference today. We'll dip into that if something happens. I'm sure it will. And uh, Lita McCarthy will do the same thing. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Despite that, the things that we've done have been just incredible, and I couldn't have done them, done it without you. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. Yeah, there you go. Uh, here we go. Critical time. President Trump exits with two great speeches, one on tape, one live yesterday at the airport. Big crowds, apparently, and a classy message to his successor in his top drawer. But what about the future of the party? His impeachment and his policies, which for the most part, despite the blister, uh, the bluster and blowback, worked. Number two. 46th president of the United States, putting his soul into his first address. He gave the kind of inaugural address our presidents used to give. And we needed this. There was not one part of that that wasn't just medicine in the wound. Ha! <laughs> Embarrassing. The fawning media outdid themselves on day one with softball syrupy analysis and a lack of a scintilla of curiosity about what Joe Biden actually did to get the job and will do now that he has the job. They review and extol the virtues of all things Biden and Democrats as well. Can they actually keep this pathetic pace up? Number one. To all those who did not support us, let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. I will be a president for all Americans. All Americans. All right. Uh, I hope. In the wordiest inaugural since President Reagan, President Biden calls for unity, but his actions say something else. One way, his party, his party's the only way. So if you want to get on board, we can work together. Get it? Absent was any sense of cooperation, any condemnation of Antifa, who were wrecking two major cities last night. We will take a look at the executive acts and his actions and ask you what you can hope he gets done. 
uh, for the country. You know, we think it's 78 years old who's seen party politics. He's been a moderate sometimes. He's been very liberal other times. We know the party's changed. The country's changed. But he's right about everything. You know, we very, very much are divided. But how divided? On a few issues? Well, the XL pipeline is not going to bring people together. Why? Because it's a clean way to get oil from Canada, our friend, to Texas, out to the port, and export. For the first time, we have a president hand over the keys to the White House where we're exporting more oil and gas than we're taking in. First time. Why blow that? We're going back into the Paris, uh, the Paris climate change. I don't know. I don't want to do that. I don't want one world government. We're already doing almost everything they asked. Russia and China aren't going to come on board suddenly. In danger, we're going to stop building the wall that's already paid for. We're basically going to pay fees and penalties not to build the wall. Why do that? These are things it's easy to uh, it, it's easy to look as though you're acting bipartisan. You got to leave symbolic things, make it hard for Republicans to not get aboard. He's also going to pause student loans. That's fine. Well, the government's not going to get paid back. Student loan goes on pause. I mean, school debt is a major issue, but just forgiving it is a major kick in the teeth to the 30-something-year-olds, 40-year-olds who work two jobs in order to pay off their school debt. There's got to be a better way than just saying, oops, sorry, you don't have to pay it back. Now, those people that did, sorry, I just became president now and I just came came to mind, even though I've been in the business for 30-plus years. The Biden administration on Wednesday issued a pause on deportations of illegal immigrants. Really? We have a pandemic. 76% of the country want to seal the border. We're six feet apart. We can't go to a restaurant. We can't eat outdoors. It's too cold in many cases, many people listening right now. But we can have strangers from other countries pour across our border. Believe me, I don't think they've been vaccinated. I have nothing against people outside our border. But in a pandemic, aren't we told to be smarter than that? Isn't that why kids aren't in school? You are not at work. You are doing things at Zoom. You are not playing sports. But we can welcome in thousands of refugees and pause. So there's good parts and there's disturbing parts. Cut one. Good part. For all those who supported our campaign, I'm humbled by the faith you've placed in us. To all those who did not support us, let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. Okay, good. Watch me. And if you don't go along, it's called politics. Don't take it personal. Good. But then there's this part of the speech. The cry for survival comes from planet itself. A cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. Listen, are there white supremacists out there? Yes. Are there black racists out there? Yes. Are there American Indians that hate white people? Absolutely. But to characterize the country that way wouldn't be in my speech. That's not exactly going to bring it together. And should you disseminate between the 75 million that voted for President Trump and people like the Proud Boys and all these other gang-like things, gang, uh, gang-like groups who want to bestow violence, can you separate the two? I would have. If you're going to have a wordy speech, why not include that? He also said something else disturbing in this passage. I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real. But I also know they are not new. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal 
that we're all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. Okay, uh, not torn us apart. People have had conflicts. We had a civil war. Slavery is terrible. We, 60s, we had the civil rights movement. We have never, you could say the glass is half empty, like he just did, and full of hate, or you could say we have come so far, let's finish the job. That would have been my message. But when you bring up we're racist society again, when you're letting people know that the guy that you work with just apologized to the world for our foreign policy, now we're apologizing to Americans for who we are. That did not elude Jason Whitlock, very smart guy, insightful guy who was on with Tucker last night. Uh, and I think he found it out kick. Cut three. Because I express conservative values, conservative non-political values, I'm seen as a friend of white supremacists. I'm a white supremacist. Anybody that disagrees with the left is a white supremacist. And now with this war on white supremacy, just like the war on drugs was an attack on the working class and poor, we're about to see it all over again. And and I just want to reach out to black people and to quit. Let's quit being used as a pawn by a political organization, the left, Democrats. And Jason Whitlock made a lot of sense last night. And what I think Republicans should do is say, what did Donald Trump do? Uh, Despite some of his rhetoric and his clumsy language on Charlottesville, he is not a racist and he never thought anything different. He didn't go out and pander the community, write big checks and say, please vote for me. Republicans never do. They don't try. Donald Trump was making huge inroads, huge. They were panicking on the left. Then he made it easy for him by saying some things in a clumsy fashion, tweets he probably shouldn't have done, but he has nothing. He doesn't care what color you are. I mean, he was going after Charles Krauthammer, who was a paraplegic. He goes after, he went after Henry Kissinger at one point. Fired Henry Kissinger from his board. The guy's 90-something years old. It doesn't matter. You turn on him, he's going to turn on you. And if you're black, why they say, well, well, you can't do that. That's Donald Trump just went after you. Doesn't mean that Ben Carson doesn't know the true guy. Daryl Strawberry doesn't know the true guy. George Foreman doesn't know the true uh, guy that he is. Herschel Walker and others. So I just think to go out of your way to bring up white supremacy and racism, I think in a way in which doesn't show huge progress is detrimental. Where did he miss the mark? It didn't happen at the time when he was speaking, granted. But now you have your Twitter account back or the POTUS Twitter account back, Joe Biden, now President Biden. Last night in Portland and Seattle, a brutal riots. They were going after cops again, destroying property again, destroying businesses again. They were saying anti-Biden things, anti-American things. They were burning flags. Why not use that opportunity if you're going to go after the Proud Boys and others and justifiably and who are those idiots that stormed the building and hurt cops and killed one of them with a fire extinguisher? Horrific. Never will you see me soft pedal that. Why not just say, and by the way, if you are in Antifa or you are destroying things in the name of Black Lives Matter, okay, excuse me, the positive because they're such big supporters, that is also behavior that's got to stop. So listen to Jason Rance from one of our local affiliates out in Seattle. Cut 12. They don't hide their organizing. 
I know there's been a lot of conversation about right-wing violence on Parler, but these folks are on Facebook, on Twitter. They're putting out flyers basically saying what they're going to do, and they always follow through with it. So anyone who's shocked at this, you're just literally not looking at what's right in front of us all. They don't hide it. one 866 We come back. Donald Trump, how he was greeted. Uh, in Florida, these people weren't hired. They came out to greet him as he goes to Mar-a-Lago, one of the few properties that he's on that's actually making a profit. We're going to go over what Trump's looking at, what he could be thinking about, and the leverage he could use to make sure this impeachment doesn't go through. This New York Post editorial today, right on the money. You may not like the president's speech. You may not like how he acted over the last two months. But you cannot go out of your way to impeach someone that has left office. It's diminishing the whole process. It's making it too usual and uh, and and there's a lack of scrutiny there. There's been no investigation of the House, just passed through on a simple majority vote, and now you got it in the Senate with people that never liked Trump, so maybe you get 17 votes. Why do it? You want to tell 75 million people you don't matter? Continue speeches like that, Joe Biden. Continue to call them Nazis like you did last week and go impeach the guy they supported. Who left you a nice note. Back in a moment. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Democrats, you got to tip your hat to them. It's an evil strategy, but it is working. They have convinced the public, if you want to not be considered racist, support Democrats, support the left. That's the way to inoculate yourself from ever being accused of racism or being a sellout to your black race. That is their political strategy. That's what they're offering the people. We can protect you from being smeared as a racist. Joe Biden offered no policies today. There were platitudes and generalizations 
and attacks on President Trump. There was no vision expressed for America and how we move this country forward. There was no offer of unity. Yeah, I mean, the words, I, I desperately want Joe Biden just to stand up to his party and do something that Republicans would say, wow, he is trying to bring us together. He rejoined the WHO. Anthony Fauci came out and said, the WHO's done a great job. Thank you. We are back. Not where the hell were you for a year? Why didn't you give us a heads up that there was asymptomatic spread? Why didn't you tell us what started this? You still haven't been honest with us. Why don't you tell us that China wouldn't let you in? We would have helped you out to get the answers that might have saved the world. And 300,000, 400,000 Americans would still be alive. How could you just go back in and say, we're back? Not building the wall. They're ending uh, Donald Trump's 1776 commission. God forbid we start worshiping our past and really looking into it instead of 1619, which many of which and much of which has been debunked. Since when do you take a New York Times series and make it part of the curriculum? Undo the Trump expansion of immigration enforcement? Unnecessary. Forgot I'm not on television. Uh, Nate listening on, I am on Fox Nation, by the way. Nate listening on KNKI in Arizona. Hey, Nate. Hi, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Um, um, I just, I, I, you know, over the years I've listened to you, and sometimes I've wanted to call in and just scream, and, uh, but I, I found a lot of truth in what you say. And I just feel like we're all being dragged into this um, identity politics, you know, the, and nobody's sitting here and critiquing what we're being dragged in and exploited with and i really believe that's identity politics and if you're on the left you're with antifa if you're on the right you're a racist i know what is it going to take nate for both to condemn the proud boys and antifa why can't we condemn both right that's what i'm saying and that's where i've been i've been watching it on tv and the whole summer i'm watching this and i'm watching this unfold and it's a destruction of property it's not a destruction of physical people and then what i watch on uh, the Capitol, I'm watching these guys want to kill and hang someone. And at the end of the day, we're all Americans. I live in a place where it's very rural. Okay, I'm moderate. I'm, I'm more in the middle. I, after all of this, I become. I, I would say I'm a Reagan Republican, if anything. Okay, but I see around me such extremism and hate. We're forgetting that we're Americans. We're forgetting what we're all standing upon. Right. And that's that that that's democracy. That's that's liberty. We don't have freedoms. We give that up. For the rule of law. So this, this talk, we have freedom. That's anarchy. We live with liberty. And that liberty is something we negotiate with each other. And, we, and we're not negotiating anymore. Hey, and I'll even be honest, Nate. This is the, the first call. You are the first call that I've gotten in a long time of people that aren't one side or the other. Do you know that? No. And we're here. We're here. I mean, we are. And I, I've called in a couple times to you and hung up. Because I've been so mad at what you said. But then I sat back and I reflected and I go, okay, well, then I'll go listen to the other side. And you guys are on extreme sides sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'll go to CNN. And then I'll hear their foolery. And I'll go, okay, well, that's extreme. But then I'll back off a little bit and consider some of what they say. And see, that empathy is what we're missing. True. You know, we could talk about Trump. Trump's one key. And I liked a lot of what he did. But one key thing he missed was empathy. And if anything, sometimes we, we're exposed by things that are bad or not that great to look at what we're missing as a whole. And that's what Trump showed us. So, you know, what's interesting, Nate, I'll give you an example. Do you know that he ticked off his whole side, including Mitch McConnell, by doing this criminal justice reform? 
Do you know that uh, Jared pushed it forward? It got close. He had some de- buy-in from Republicans. He did it. And McConnell was going to hold back on it. Then the momentum got too great. Do you know that that is against that if you push that as a Republican under Barack Obama, you would have been you would have been primaried. So those are the types of things he was willing to do. But when the Mueller report dug in, the impeachment started, he got so defensive that he wouldn't even look at the other side. Remember, Elijah Cummings picked up the phone and said, let's work on X, Y and Z. He said, let's do it until they didn't show up for his inaugural. And then he got all ticked off again. So the thin skin hurt him, but his ideas were bipartisan sometimes. Thanks, Nate. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You talked about it with tariffs and economic issues. We've talked about it with spies operating out of a console in Houston. Uh, this challenge, the threat from the Chinese Communist Party is real. It is existential to the United States. We have to get this right. And I am counting on the next administration continuing our work, continuing to build out on the things that we have done in the exact way that the American people will demand. I hope to. Uh, and I hope America gets it. That China is a legitimate enemy, bigger threat, some have speculated, a bigger threat than Russia and the Soviet Union in the 60s, 70s, 80s, broken up in the 90s. Steve Mosher joins us. He's the president of the Population Research Institute and author of Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. Steve, first off, do you think this administration has indicated to you that they understand the threat of China? You know, I hope so, Brian. Uh, we're looking to China as the biggest threat in the 21st century. I think it's the biggest threat this country has ever faced since its founding, quite frankly, because it's not just a military threat. My goodness, it's a it's a threat to our uh, high-tech dominance. It's a threat to our economic leadership in the world. It's a threat to the entire free world, of which we're still the leader. Uh, so, you know, when I heard uh, General Austin uh, testify that, yes, uh, China was the uh, the pacing power, the power that was rising that we had to confront. Um, I was I was uh, buoyed by that news. He said that China, uh, that Russia is a declining power, which it clearly is. I mean, Russia's a gas station, for goodness sake. All they've got is oil. Uh, they don't have anything else. They're losing their high-tech dominance in military, by the way, to China, because China's stolen everything the Russians have in terms of producing jet engines and so forth. And so China doesn't need Russia anymore, even in military terms. So, yeah, every all eyes should be focused on, on China right now. Do you, you don't think, uh, on a side note, do you don't think Russia's modernized their military to a concerning point? No, I think they're falling behind technologically. I mean, remember, they fell apart in the 1980s because the great President Reagan uh, launched Star Wars cut off high-tech transfer to them, cut off financing to them, and guess what? They died on the vine. So they've been trying to catch up ever since. But a lot of their technology is now, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're falling a generation behind in terms of missiles and other things. So, um, no, I, 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 you know, they've got the, an economy the size of New York State. They simply can't keep up with uh, the United States or China uh, at this point in time. So here's what Janet Yellen said about the threat when she was asked by Ben Sass, Cut 38. I wonder if you would regard um, Chairman Xi and his regime as guilty of genocide in Xinjiang at present. I think it's guilty of horrendous human rights abuses, yes. 
which led Mike Pompeo to say this last week. Cut 36. We've been talking and working on this for an awfully long time in the Trump administration. We have sanctioned officials. We have told businesses they couldn't bring products out of this region. We've we've told businesses to be very careful that they could be too close to what's taking place there, right? This is forced labor. This is forced sterilizations, forced abortions. John, the kind of things that we haven't seen in an awfully long time in this world. So, and this is the Muslim community. And the Muslim community was upset that we put together, that some idiot producer put together a $3 video mocking Muhammad. They were raiding embassies. But yet they've rounded up millions, put them in concentration camps that Hitler would be proud of. And there's not a word from anybody except us last week. Yeah, well, the Brits are getting on board, and I think the French are not happy uh, either. But we've taken the lead in this. We have to continue. This is genocide. Brian, people need to understand that they've put two to three million uh, mostly Uyghur and Kazakh men, some women, but mostly men in concentration camps. They built factories inside the camp. So these people are slave labor, literally slave labor. They make the camps run at a profit. The women uh, are left at home behind, but they're not left alone because often Chinese police are stationed with them one-on-one, and you know what that means. Uh, The little kids are taken away and put in boarding schools where they're not taught in their own language, the Turkish language. They're taught in Chinese. They're taught to be good Han Chinese and recite the slogans praising Xi Jinping, dictator for life, Xi Jinping, and so forth. And the same thing is beginning to happen now in Tibet, uh, in the Mongol region, in the other minority regions. There's a great wave of, of cultural genocide uh, throughout China. Everybody has to look and speak alike in Xi Jinping's view. But it's it's far worse in, in the Uyghur country, in the far west of China, than any other place in the world. It is genocide. Women are being sterilized and aborted for having too many children. How many children is too many? Well, in some cases, one. In other cases, two. This is the textbook definition of genocide. It's happening in real time. Hasn't happened in the world since the 1930s. You know, it began in Dachau back in 1933 when the Nazis took power, and now we're seeing it again in real time. I don't think anybody should should equivocate, uh, whether it's Janet Yellen or anything else, anybody else about what's happening in China, because we've got the evidence. So now they uh, have about 22 million people locked down because this virus is reemerging, they claim, outside Beijing. They also say that they've only lost about 4,500 people to this virus. How much of what I just said is true? The 22 million, if they admit to 22 million, it's probably more, right? Well, nothing, nothing that comes out of China is true, Brian. We all know that. All the numbers are fabricated for political reasons. And so they tell us virtually no one has died in China. Well, they've, they've had a lot more deaths in China than probably the rest of the world put together. Um, they, they tell us that they're locking down certain areas. I think I understand that five different provinces are locked down in China right now. But look, this is Chinese style totalitarian control. You can control the virus without locking down your economy, shutting people in their homes and welding and locking their doors shut, which is what they're doing in China. We should never have modeled ourselves on on China and use methods from the Chinese Communist Party to control this thing. Uh, You know, we're a free country. You alert people to the danger. uh, You allow them to take precautions. You provide them with the vaccine and you let them go on with their lives. That's just the way it works. And now we have a second useful and cheap treatment for people who have the COVID virus, the FDA just approved ivermectin, which is a long-standing treatment for, for parasitical infections, but is also very, very effective for the China virus. So 
where you've got hydroxychloroquine, you've got ivermectin, you've got the vaccine. You know, we're becoming very well equipped to deal with this thing. No more lockdowns, please. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, we're, we're still doing it. But, you know, the rest of the world hasn't gotten it either. Some did it easy, like Sweden, uh, take the vulnerable, uh, put them in a safe place and go back to work. They're getting a second surge. We have the second surge to Europe. We heard Germany was doing it right. They're getting hammered again. Uh, France is locked down again. The U.K.'s got hit harder. We're doing great on the vaccine. China puts together a vaccine. They say it's 80 percent effective. It's 50. They gave it to Brazil, but yeah. they don't take it themselves. Yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't take any 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 medication coming out of China. And, and the sad thing is I, I may because a lot of our pharmaceuticals are manufactured there. We've got to get our supply chains for pharmaceuticals shifted to other places like uh, the United States, where we have standards and, and move away from China. But, yeah, the Chinese vaccine is, is garbage. Uh, no one should take it. Uh, you know, and it, it really irritates me that here you have a Chinese Communist Party that released a virus on the world, caused an international pandemic, and is now bragging about making money selling vaccines to the rest of the world, selling PPE, selling ventilators, selling other things, as if this was nothing but a great big marketing ploy. They've actually published figures of the tens of billions of dollars they've made selling medical equipment overseas. Not giving it away like we do, but selling it. So, Steve, you put together your book, Bully of Asia. How long did you live in China? Uh, I lived in Asia for 10 years, lived in Hong Kong, studied Chinese at the Chinese University of Hong Kong a long time ago. I was the first American on the ground in China in 1979. We normalized relations. I was there a few weeks later. I can read, write, and speak Mandarin, Cantonese, and Taiwanese. Lived on the island of Taiwan, the free island of Taiwan, by the way. Uh, with 24 million free Chinese who have free elections and a free press and all the other things that go along with a, a vibrant democracy, uh, which is why, of course, the Chinese Communist Party wants to kill it. It's a threat to their one-party rule. But, yeah, 10 years in Asia and uh, frequent visits back there since. So things that have changed here, I understand, is now they're starting to put their thumb on any free market economy that maybe started to build things, like, for example, oh, yeah. Alibaba. Jack Ma just reemerged, and the stock went up. Where was he? And by speaking out against the regime, did he pay the price? Yeah, he did. Uh, he, he's been made an example of by the Chinese Communist Party. I understand Xi Jinping himself was personally offended when Jack Ma criticized overregulation of the financial sector of the Chinese economy. Well, uh, Xi Jinping didn't like that. He's a communist. He wants all uh, uh, the reins of power in his hands. No one can criticize the Communist Party. He said very clearly, you can make as much money as you want in China, but you have to serve the party. Jack Ma uh, refused to serve the party for a minute. He was arrested, taken away, two, year, two months of re-education, and now he's re-emerged. But he didn't say anything about Alibaba when he re-emerged. Uh, he, he talked about, you know, providing Internet to rural villagers. He was reading from a script. He's being deprogrammed, re-educated as we speak. And when he reemerges, uh, he will be a broken man. Uh, the Chinese say you kill the chicken to warn the monkey or you kill the one to warn the hundred. Uh, Jack Ma is the one. Jack Ma is the chicken. And, and that message, you thought he was impenetrable, untouchable. Uh, it is like if we took Steve Jobs uh, out 10 years ago before he died and said, well, you're getting too powerful. You're going to disappear for a month. Then you're going to reemerge and talk about how great the country is. Uh, we don't do that. So. What leverage do we have? They look at us, and they're loving the protests. They're loving some of the chaos that they're witnessing. But, they, but we have leverage. They need our market. 
They need Americans to buy their stuff. They need to make America's stuff. That's our leverage. They cannot turn away from us, can they, Steve? No, no. We're the, we're the biggest consumer market in the world. We're the primary source of hard currency earnings for the Chinese economy. The rest of the con- Chinese economy basically just just is clunky. It, it barely moves along. Look, uh, the Chinese Communist Party consumes about $2 trillion worth of wealth every year. Uh, that's uh, well over uh, you know, 15% of the total Chinese economy. What do they do? They eat, drink, and make merry. Uh, they have chauffeured limousines. They hold conferences. They produce very little. They consume a lot. That's a burden for the Chinese economy. You've got state-owned enterprises, uh, those big state-owned steel mills and the railroads and so forth. They all run at a loss. China Rail uh, owes $700 billion that it will never pay back that it got from the government. So that's all a loss for the economy. Where do they make money? By selling goods to the American market. We've got to keep the tariffs on. We might want to raise the tariffs in certain sectors. We've got to keep the sanctions on their high-tech companies. We've got to keep our high-tech from being stolen by them. Right. We can't let the, the little princess uh, from Huawei go. Uh, she's got to be extradited from Canada and come here to stand trial. We've got to stand tall, stands up. If we do, uh, their economy will gradually dry up, and we will win this competition, Brian, and we've got to win it. Uh, for the sake of our children and grandchildren. I want you to, uh, this is what we got. Joe Biden was caught on, on, on Mike last night. And he said this about as he does know Xi's uh He does know President Xi. Here's what he said. I was asked a long time ago when I was with Xi Jinping and I was in uh, on the Tibetan plateau with him. And he asked me in a private dinner, he and I, and we each had an interpreter. He said, can you define America for me? And I said, yes, and I meant it. I said, I can do it in one word, one word, possibilities. So that makes you think he wants to he wants to engage. That was what he was saying as he was swearing in a thousand of the people that he nominated. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I kind of think that Joe Biden is, is, as president, is not going to be the Joe Biden we saw as vice president. I certainly hope not. I don't think that Hunter and other Biden family members are going to be inking any new deals with the Chinese Communist Party, in part because of the level of public scrutiny they will now face. Now that the big guy but I'm worried about the president. deal he did, Steve. I'm worried about the deal that's done and what they still might know about yeah. those deals. Yeah, absolutely. Hunter should divest himself of, of his uh, $50 million investment in China. <laughs> you think so? Uh, they should come clean about that. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and this is what he said when he first launched his campaign last year. China is going to eat our lunch? Come on, man. They can't even figure out how to deal with the, 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 the fact that they have this great division between the China Sea and the mountains in the east, I mean, in the west. They can't figure out how they're going to deal with the corruption that exists within the system. I mean, I, you know, they're not bad folks, folks. But Yeah, that kind of worries me. Uh, he, that, that, that's the wrong yeah, mindset, yeah. and that's not the reality. Yeah, the reality is you can't accommodate, uh, you can't appease this government of China. The Chinese Communist Party wants to dominate the world. They've been very clear about that. You can read their own propaganda, as I have. That's what they tell the Chinese people. That's what the China dream is all about. We can't allow that to happen. Uh, We need to confront China. We need to work with allies in Asia. And the good news is, Brian, our 
allies in Asia are actually coming together on their own. Australia and India are working together on military exercises. Japan is now down in the South China Sea instead of huddling on the home islands. Uh, so things are coming together. The French, the British are going to mm. send a frigate to patrol the South China Sea to contest the territorial claims there. So a lot of things are moving in the right direction. But if we don't lead, guess what? I think a lot of that a lot of that goes away. Remember, back in, in 2016, uh, China was on a glide path to overtake the U.S. by 2020. And what we saw from the Obama-Biden administration was they were sort of managing America's decline. We have now set back China's plans by at least 10 years. They won't overtake us uh, on the current trajectory for another 10 years. If we're strong, if we continue to build up our economy, it'll never happen. Destroy our economy. Yep. It'll never happen. We Steve, can we can we can beat this. You're a valuable voice. I love it. Uh, Bully of Asia is his book. Tells the truth of what he saw up close and personal. Stephen Mosher, thank you. Thank you, Brian. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Busy Thursday. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories. It's Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. I see your calls up there, but I want to see if I can find out if there is. I might not have it, but is there really a need to find out more? More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, Joe Biden is decorating his office, and guess what is out? Andrew Jackson. Guess what is in? Martin Luther King Jr., Robert F. Kennedy. They got their uh, pictures up on the wall. Uh, Benjamin Franklin's up on the wall. And Cesar Chavez is up on the wall, as well as Rosa Parks and Eleanor Roosevelt. All right. Sorry, Andrew. Next. A carjacker realized his kid was left in the car. A kid was left in the car, returns to a parking lot to uh, to berate the mom. Yet another car, a guy screamed at a mom for letting the kid wait and the car to begin with as she ran to the store to get a gallon of milk. But with a twist, he was the carjacker who got mad at the mom. This is nuts. The incident unfolded in Beaverton, Oregon on January 16th. That according to the newspaper there, about 9 a.m., the mom needed some milk, ran in. She put a four-year-old in the back seat, buckled him up into his booster chair, and headed into the grocery store. She was never more than 15 from the car, according to police. She was in the store very briefly, but the carjacker saw her walk in, saw the car running, and jumped in and raced away. Came back and yelled at her. Unbelievable. That's, like, I guess, a carjacker with a conscience. Absolutely. Next, Arnold Schwarzenegger just got the shot, needed it around the world. He got a vaccine at Dodger Stadium. He says it's funny. He dropped two famous lines, a well-known one from Terminator and a, a more obscure one from Jingle All the Way. He said, if you're a diehard Arnold fan, you know both off the top of your head. So what are those lines? Put that needle down. All done. Thank you. You're welcome. Congratulations. All right. I just got my vaccine, and I will recommend it to anyone and everyone. Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> that's great. But he does have to. He could have said, I'll be back, because you need two shots, right? That's a, great, yeah, that's a great point. Right. Arnold needs me with him. We used to be friends. What happened? I don't know. Brian killed me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
from the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, an extended interview with Dave Portnoy of Barstool. What he did on a dare uh, to put his money where his mouth was to help small business, put $500,000 up. Now it's up to $33 million. And he has an ongoing plan for everybody uh, that he picks. And he does it off, uh, not with contacts, but judging by their level of need and how they can help. He finances for a year these small businesses who have been destroyed by the pandemic and by idiot governors and mayors like the one we have in New York. Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Despite that, the things that we've done have been just incredible, and I couldn't have done them, done it without you. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. Critical time. President Trump exits with two great speeches, big crowds, and apparently a classy message to his successor, uh, as tradition would have it. His impeachment and his policies, which for the most part, despite the bluster and blowback, worked or on the level. What's going to happen next? Number two. 46th president of the United States putting his soul into his first address. He gave the kind of inaugural address our presidents used to give. And we needed this. There was not one part of that that wasn't just medicine. In the world. Embarrassing. The fawning media outdid themselves all day, every network, about day one. And then the softball questions, the syrupy analysis, and lack of even a scintilla of curiosity. They review and extol the virtues of all things Biden and Democrats. Can they actually keep up this pace? Number one. To all those who did not support us, let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. I will be a president for all Americans, all Americans. Let's hope. But there were other parts of the speech that made you think, does he really mean it? And of course, with the policies and executive orders, you got to wonder, will he actually do it? Absent any sense of cooperation, any condemnation of Antifa would have helped. Who, by the way, after he was done with the speech a couple hours later, were wrecking two major cities. Not the Proud Boys, but Antifa. We're going to look at the executive acts and his actions and see where we go from here. But first. And now it is time to clear the airwaves for the distinguished host of Fox News Sunday. Joining us now, this guy who's always happy. Chris Wallace. <laughs> you didn't know that there was no open, did you? Always calling it like it is. They told me there was no new open. I didn't know there was no open at all. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to hear is Brian Kilmeade turning on his staff again, which we've heard over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> and standing up for the little guy. Fire Eric, fire Allison. Peter, you would need to fire him too. I think they all need to be fired. <laughs> oh, well then, uh, most of the time stands up for the little guy. Chris has actually been so kind as to pull my suitcase for me. There you, you go, Allison, wheels? Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, Allison, look, there's always a place for you at Fox News Sunday, and, and I don't jump ugly on my staff. The chivalrous, the redeeming, the almost makes up for wanting Eric and Peter fired, Chris Wallace. <laughs> who, who, who wrote that, Eric or Peter? <laughs> who wrote that? Was that Frank and Eric, pretty much? Yeah, you wrote it? All right. All right. That's why he was working. We asked, uh, we asked Eric to go to lunch. We waited an hour for him, but that's what he was working on. He was, he was working on your open. Well, 
Uh, I, first of all, that is a complete misstatement of what our is? conversation last week. I was saying that you're going to fire all of them and that I was defending all of them. <laughs> but in any case, that was a good open, and I'm ready to begin the new administration. So you have a problem with my journalism already? No. Well, I do actually have a problem because you said, I mean, I know we're going to get to this. You uh, point to the three things you need to know yeah. was the syrupy praise uh, yes. of Joe Biden. Right. And you didn't include it there. But I said I thought it was a great speech. That in fact, the best I'd ever heard. And I think we need to have a discussion about that. Right. The best you've ever heard. Chris, are you kidding I mean, I could not believe it. You were trending number two on Twitter. I think you were losing to, I think, uh, who was he losing? I don't know. Maybe, I I know you were number two all day. That's almost impossible. Well, I don't even know. I'm not even on Twitter, so most of the words you just said mean nothing to me. But, um, all right, let me me justify it for you. I thought it was good. By the way, I thought it was a good speech. Uh, Well delivered. They said it was uh, the only one that's been longer of late is Ronald Reagan's, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, Two points. First of all, you know, you have to judge the context in which it took place. It was 14 days after insurrectionists, a mob, was on that running wild on that same platform in the process of crashing the Capitol and trying to prevent our duly elected officials from fulfilling their constitutional duty of counting the electoral vote. So, you know, there, there's an emotional resonance. Secondly, you know, does it, was it ask not? Was it a proclamation for yeah. the ages? No. And in fact, that's what I thought was so effective about it. To me, it was Joe Biden talking over to the, the backyard fence to his neighbor saying, we got to stop this. We, you know, politics has got to stop being a blood sport. It's got to be something where we can debate, disagree, but honor each other's, uh, you know, convictions and and good faith, and try to get something accomplished for the country. And in the context of where we are as a country right now, I thought it was a hell of a good speech. Okay, um, and everybody on every other network agreed with you, uh, but I don't think anyone outstripped you in your analysis. But you do have the experience. Here is what this is the part of the speech I thought was totally unnecessary. And of course, the statement's true. But should this make the cut, especially when you talk about unity? Cut to a cry for survival comes from planet itself, a cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. Okay. These groups, if these groups, the white supremacy thing is now this new catchphrase. These groups are horrific. What happened on the 6th is horrific. But if he wanted to get specific about the groups and their mission, the Bloods and Crips have a different mission than the Proud Boys, but I put them in the same category. Um, why not just mention Antifa? And then hours after his inaugural, while Tom Hanks is speaking in the freezing cold weather without even an overcoat, which is crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. I was very upset. Seattle and Portland are on fire again. And they're doing anti-Biden stuff in the street, too, by the way. Anti-democracy burning the American flag. So little things they could show. Yeah, I'm saying that I'm Joe and I go across party lines. 
That would have been like an Antifa, what they've done in these cities. The people that have taken the Black Lives Matter movement and taken from a protest to a riot, that have destroyed uh, people, attacked cops, and destroyed cities. This has to stop. Then I'm saying to myself, wow, he's calling out all the groups. Instead, they ignored him over the summer. They worry about January 6th, which is horrific. And if you want to, if, if you want a great speech and you want to go there and say white supremacy and nativism, I would have put that in there. I, I think that's a perfectly legitimate point. I, this is, yes, yes, pigs are flying. It is Christmas in July. I'm agreeing with Brian. I think that, you know, to call out uh, left-wing extremism in addition to right-wing extremism, that, that's legitimate. You, that, that could have been done. Awesome. Good night. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Do I have to finish the show? Hey, I Pete, has this ever happened? Can you is, check our archives? It's very nice, but it's boring radio. <laughs> um, who, uh, let me just do, let me ask you, you uh, how has the administration been already? First week, they didn't give you Joe Biden all year. He didn't get any, you know, basically he didn't go to any challenging interviews at all. Barely campaigned, barely gave speeches, barely did interviews. And I'm not, I'm not won, overstating but he, but it. But Brian, he won with 81 million votes. Well, so right, far. right. But I'm just saying for you. You want to know about availability. You had Trump a few times. You had his people every week. What are they giving you this weekend? Uh, they, I think they're going to give us somebody. You know, they've been pretty good about it. Have they given us Joe Biden? No. Uh, but we didn't get Donald Trump every week. You know, it, during his presidency, I talked. I got him twice. And, you know, we'll see. I've, I've, I'm making the case to them. I will. And the one thing I would say on behalf of Biden, I'm not, look, I want to get him. Uh he hasn't done any Sunday shows. I know. You know, he, he's I mean, it's not you know, it's not like he's off doing my competitors. He hasn't done any Sunday shows. And look, they there's no question. They they kept him in a pretty protective bubble. They didn't they didn't put him in in very challenging interviews. And now that he's president, you've got to assume that's going to happen as well. But I've, they've been pretty good. I've had Jen Psaki, the press secretary on. I've had Kate Bedingfield, the director of communications. Last Sunday, I had Brian Deese, who's, I think, Larry Kudlow, the top economic advisor in the White House. So, uh, you know, they say they're going to give us somebody this week. They've been pretty good. At, they've been very fair about it. Do you uh, feel, the, do you feel pressure? Guy, so much. Do you feel what? pressure to be, as, uh, to be aggress- as aggressive with them as you uh, were with Trump? Not sure. de- well, I mean, pressure. No, I, no that, that's the wrong word. I, I feel an obligation. Not you know to be to be as confronting. And if you look at the questions I asked Brian, he said it's a little hard. I mean, they haven't started yet. But you know, I've, I've I asked plenty of direct questions of them. You know, and you know, people are saying, "Oh my gosh, this first briefing yesterday was such a softball." Maybe I'm totally naive, but let's let's be clear about a couple of things. This guy is you know, going to mess up. Every president does. There's going to be policies that don't go the way they're supposed to. They're going to be, you know, contradictions. People are going to get in trouble. Uh, and I, I, I trust and I expect, and if it doesn't happen, I'd be disappointed if the White House press corps doesn't jump on that. Forget Trump, the way that we have jumped on, you know, problems and issues in every presidency. I covered Ronald Reagan for six years in the White House. Uh, you know, when he succeeded, we recognized it. When he failed or had got into trouble, we, we reported that, too. And I, I assume they're going to do the same thing with Joe Biden. Yeah, I did just, just remember Sean Spicer's first couple of ones. It was brutal. 
Uh, it was nuts. Well, wait, 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 wait. Do we remember George, uh, uh, Sean Spicer's first press conference where he went out and excoriated the press uh, about a lie, which was the size of the of the Trump uh, inaugural? Yeah, crowd? one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. You're right. Okay. Oh, okay. So you're there right. you go. Yeah, I mean, you're right. But, but they never. But do you you have to admit you have never seen anything like the way the press treated whoever the press secretary was. Am I right? No, I, I, I do agree with yeah. that. I, I, listen, I, I, sp- I spoke out about it. I thought yeah, you did. some of the guys, frankly, Jim Acosta at CNN, I oh. thought he was so grossly uh, disrespectful to the president. And look, I think uh, plenty of it was two ways. I don't think Trump calling the media the enemy of the, of the people was a very, uh, a very constructive thing. But do I think, you know, in the end, we're responsible for our own actions. And I think sometimes that the, the the media went way over the over the line in terms of challenging Donald Trump. I want you to openly hear disrespectful, right? Uh, and I want you to hear John Brennan yesterday, and I was just stunned by this. Uh, you know, the former CIA director, big critic of the president, and it's vice versa. Cut twenty six. Members of the the Biden team who have been nominated or have been appointed are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, Mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of a country and they gain strength and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently of religious religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. Okay, so they're they're going after Rand Paul, uh, a libertarian. So uh, uh, racist, nativist. So do you really think uh, this is the thing that the the Trump administration felt as though the intelligence apparatus was attacking them as candidates and as president, and this guy was leading the charge, and now he goes and says this? Well— uh, you know, I, you'd have to play it back, but I think he was talking about extreme, extremist elements. I mean, look, January 6th happened. I mean, do I want to see libertarians? And I don't think John Brennan's saying that routed out. No, of course not. But January well, said 6th it. happened. Right. There were, well, he talked about extremist elements of certain groups. He also said extremist elements of religious groups. I don't think he's saying let's ban Catholics. Uh, you know, January 6th happened. I, do I think it was all spontaneous and that it was all just as a result of a speech by the president? No, I, there's no question there was some organization online. And just like I think if there were left wing extremists, mm-hmm. you know, look, I've talked for some period of time. And in fact, I think I asked about it in the debate. What What is going on in Portland and shouldn't Shouldn't we condemn that and shouldn't we crack down on that? That kind of crap can't be allowed to go on in American cities. And, you know, peaceful protest, First Amendment, absolutely. But burning and looting and attacking federal buildings, absolutely not. And that goes for the right and the left. And by the way, the, the, the chemistry that you and Joe Biden have is pretty clear. I remember the last time that you interviewed him. <laughs> All right, Jeff, thank you very much. Uh, all right. Uh, it's Chris, I'm but Chris. anyway. So he called you Chuck. Oh. Really cheap shot, but <laughs> you know, I'll t- I'll tell you something. It's a, there's an interesting article in that I read today. You know, I read so many things in the morning, I forget where it was. But it what it said is that the that the Biden team is going to keep him in something. Bubble is probably too strong, but a little, you know, kind of a soft bubble if there's such a thing. It's outrageous uh, that they realize that you know he. He, he makes mistakes, and they're going to want to protect him from that. I will say 
though, and I was talking about this. With Isn't that cute? My wife. What? <laughs> Isn't that cute? Oh, he'll make mistakes and we won't let him talk to anyone. That's okay with you? He should talk to people. No, Trump used to walk okay. up and down the line. Next, next, next. I know you hate me, but just ask me a question. That's terrible. I thought you going to be transparent. No, I understand that. I'm not saying it's great. I'm saying but uh, they're going to do it. But I will say this. I think Biden actually, since the election, because there were times during the campaign when I thought, is this guy going to be able to finish a sentence or not? You know, I really yeah. wondered about that. I think since uh, since the election and certainly, right. you know, the last couple of days, I think he's actually better. I don't, I don't Thanks, know what it is. But Thanks, he, Chris. He, I just wish he would finish the wall. That would be great. That would make me feel better. Back in a moment. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here, 1-866-408-7669. I'll be on 7 o'clock tonight with part two of my Dave Portnoy interview. You're going to hear everything unedited uh, ju- next uh, right here. You know, he's founder of Barstool, doing such great things. Uh, Brian, listen, WTRC in South Bend, Indiana. Hey, Brian. Hey, hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. I uh, just wanted to make a comment on the inauguration speech yesterday. I thought it was actually one of the most forgettable uh, speeches that I've ever heard, and I've heard quite a few of them. And for a party that is preaching for unity, he didn't show anything in his speech yesterday, in my opinion. Well, uh, I was disappointed in the parts I played for you, and I, th- I, I thought it was f- fine. And he, I liked the unity being the theme. But you know what I would have loved, Brian? When I saw him two hours later at his desk, I would have liked to see one executive order that showed that he listened to the other side. Doesn't have to give anything, but just go, listen, I was going to do this bill. I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to work with Mitch on this. But I was going to do this. I'm going to wait on that. I'm going to finish what's paid for on the wall, and then we're going to see what works by meeting with Border Patrol. Then I'd say, wait a second. He's going to make it tough for Republicans to fight against him because he's showing he's open. And what I thought the speech was fine, and the unity was fine. You know, well-written, Yeah. But the whole white supremacy, nativism, could have done without it. Mention January 6th is fine, but you should also mention what else has been happening for the last eight months. And that's the social unrest in certain cities and some which may never recover. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 866 Your call's in a moment. But I had a chance to walk the streets of New York where Barstool has its headquarters. And we're both astounded because Fox is also in New York. And you probably feel the same way in Chicago, Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, and, and various cities up and down the East and West Coast and throughout the Midwest, uh, Illinois, I imagine all over. Uh, everything's shut down because we're afraid of the virus. Everyone's unaware that we have 300,000 dead, but how many more are going to die because of being unemployed? The estimate, 900,000. 
Dave Portnoy wasn't standing by. He and his organization have rallied to collect $30 million. And we walked the streets to talk about what he saw and what he did. Dave Portnoy, Barstool founder. Things are banging in New York City as usual. This is where your business is located. It's been a phenomenal success story. But this isn't really about Barstool, is it? This is about the country. Yeah, this has nothing to do with Barstool. The fun we're doing is just trying to help small business in general. Obviously, um, if you walk around New York, which we're doing, you see that there's a lot of businesses in trouble or gone, really. What struck me is you really reflected all those months ago, same year, in 2020, when you just came out and said, wait a second, you told me to bend the curve, I bent the curve. You asked me to do this, I did this. I put everything down, we shut everything down. And now you're telling me the curve is bent, but still keep everything down, shut everything down. And I saw the frustration. Tucker Carlson obviously picked up on that. You did it on your channel and all, uh, all your outlets. But after that, something changed. You decided, if you're not going to open up, I'm going to help out. Well, yeah. So what changed, actually? The rants you're talking about were kind of early. And this has been going on for so long, you almost lose track. But it was early in the pandemic. I feel like, you know, March was kind of the beginning of lockdown. And we fast forward all the way to end of December, and in New York City, they closed indoor dining. So they had opened it up a little bit, and then right before the holidays, they said, we're getting rid of it. And I went on a rant because, logically speaking, if you walked around the city, there was already tons of boards and places out of business. This felt like a death blow, and I went on a rant. It's like, well, we're going to take away indoor dining, and it's ice cold outside, so, you know, there's snowstorms. It's New York in the winter, and you're not going to give these businesses a lot of money. There's only one outcome, and that's they're going to go out of business. So, I, you know, that was that was the last try. I felt like so many places were hanging on, hanging on, if they had made it this far, to take away the indoor dining. It, it just made no sense. So I went on that rant, and then I was challenged. It was basically like, hey, big mouth, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? And I thought about it, and, and that's what we did. So I donated 500000 of my own money to start this small business fund, Barstool Fund, and then start challenging basically my friends, like a lot of them who have become successful, whatever, and fans of Barstool donate to small business. And if you're a small business who needs help just to get through this thing till the pandemic's gone, reach out. We'll help as many as we can. And as we look around, there's a lot of health needs. Now, people in Chicago, they know exactly what you're talking about. People in California, up and down the coast, know exactly what you're talking about. People in New York City. I mean, look over here. This is normally bustling. I mean, this is a weekday. If you look over to the left, things are boarded up. If they're not fenced off, they're shut down. The only thing that's really selling here is plywood. Yeah, it's sad. It, it is definitely sad to walk through the city and see it. Um, you know, there's a restaurant right there. It, 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 again, it's common sense. Uh, again, I hate to keep saying that, but if you're not letting a business, a restaurant, a bar, what have you, have customers and earn a living, and you're not giving them the money what are you going to do? Because guess what? The tax bill is still coming. Right. Depending on the landlord, the rent bill is still coming and the payroll is still coming. So I, it's common sense. Something's going to give. And unfortunately, it's a lot of these small businesses. One in every small business, one of every four small businesses in New York will shut down or is shut down. Same thing in Chicago. 32,000 across the country. And not just, not just restaurants. You got the beauty industry shut down. You got the gym industry yep. basically shut down. And I'm not really sure why, because in certain states, they're open. Yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. When you talk to them, it's, a lot of times it's a flip of a coin. You'll talk to somebody, it's like, hey, I can't operate, but I can go across the river. I can go, you know, 10 minutes away, and they're fully operational. That's crazy. That's just total geography, where you land. There's a lot of circumstances. I talked to a, um, 
a yoga studio and she's like, listen, I put mats down in my studio. They're all six feet apart. People don't move. They wear the mask. I can't open, but this person can get, get on an airplane. So there's a lot of things that just don't make sense. And I think, again, you hear over and over from the small business owners, nobody's talking to us. There's no plan. Nobody's saying what we're doing. We're bending over backwards to try to make it work. And no one seems to care. And you do care. And uh, you're taking action. So you put 500000 in. Yep. Unbelievable. But then people start joining. Small donations, big donations. Tom Brady jumps in. Yep. Elon Musk jumps in. Tell me some of the other big names that have jumped in. So Aaron Rodgers has been great. He jumped in on Solicity, put in 500000 of his own money. Wow. And not only that, he's jumping on the calls with me. So, uh, <laughs> you know, to surprise people in his neighborhood. Uh, Dana White, UFC, he put in hundred grand like that. Um, you know, there's people, the Crafts, uh, Patriots owners, both unsolicited, reaching up. There's just people who want to help. And you know what? It, it spans from rich, successful, to the small everyday. We have 180,000 people who have donated. Right. That can be $5, $10, $20. This is a cause that everybody cares about. Small business is not a political issue. It's, it shouldn't be anything. It's the fabric of the country, and everybody wants to help. Look, closed. I mean, look at this place. You know there's money invested in here. And by the way, there's a landlord that's not getting rent. And that landlord's not able to pay back the bank. How do you think lives are going all the way up the chain? Yeah, it's a trickle-down effect. Everybody, I don't, and even during the fun, you don't realize just how many people get affected. You just take a restaurant, but it's the, you know, somebody's giving them the food. If it's a fish place, somebody's catching the fish. It goes all the way down. Someone's delivering the fish. There's, we've had an extermination company that just did restaurants in Manhattan. So there's so many people. It's the owner, it's the families of the owner, it's everything. It, it, it really, it, it's indescribable how many people are affected by one business. So you know what's interesting is your image is a pretty tough guy, rough around the edges, and now you're doing something almost, even though I know you have a big heart, you gotta, you get in an emotional circumstance. Are you, is it hard for you knowing that you're on camera, you're catching these very uh, rough around the edges, yeah. men and women, who used to, are not used to acclaim and fame, not used to handouts. You're in a lot of, I'm watching these tapes and it's emotional. How are you, how are you dealing with that? Yeah, you know, this is, <laughs> this is the business side of me. When we have somebody who breaks down or shows the emotion, I am happy and I'm happy because I know we just got more donations. Like when you see the emotion and the relief and when they tell their story, that is what is getting the money donated. So for me, I don't want to say selfishly because overall good was like, this is going to help the cause and we're going to save more businesses. So when I get the breakdown, it's almost when I hang up, I have a deep sigh and like, oh my God, that was amazing. But during it, I try to keep it professional. But yeah, it's uh, that is, if people ask me, what's the number one thing the Barstool Fund has done? Besides obviously helping the businesses, we put a face to these people and they're struggling. Again, I keep saying it's common sense a small business is struggling. But when you see their reactions, how much stress there, we have owners being like, I haven't slept in six months. I don't tell my wife like the stress or vice versa. You realize what a difference it's making and just how crazy it is that it's happening. Uh, can I just talk about the illogic? You say common sense. Yeah. I don't want to point out the name of the restaurant, but this is on the outside of a restaurant with a top on it that looks like a restaurant. It's dressed like the indoors. It is indoors. Across the streets, a submarine outside of a restaurant where there's heat lamps. How is that not as the same as eating indoors? There is 
structure versus an indoor structure and maybe it's just people want to cover themselves be like we tried everything but I mean we're looking at one here they're all over they're very elaborate <laughs> indoor structures it's the same thing what is the 10 p.m. curfew do? like what yeah. where, where is the logic in that there isn't and that again is the frustration of a lot of these places I know bars I've spoken many bars who say, or even restaurants. It's like, a killer, the curfew. The curfew is a killer. We don't start making money till 10 p.m. Like, that is when our we, we break even till 10. So there is no logic to a lot of the things. And, and I think that's one of the frustrations. Like, somebody explained, somebody explained how if you just build an indoor structure outside, that is now outside, even <laughs> though it's inside. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. But on top of that, if these politicians were not getting paid until they opened up, they'd open up. But these business owners don't get paid if they don't open up and they're not in control. And you always bring this up. What if they said it to you when you're starting on Barstool? You left a secure job. You were making money. But you decide to have that entrepreneur spirit and give it a shot. And what if they didn't allow you to have that shot? Well, that's why I'm so passionate about it because, I mean, Barstool's obviously grown, but I consider it a small business, and it's no overnight success. It took me two decades. We've been doing two decades. Ten years, maybe, before I turned a profit. If this thing hit at year 10, you rip away, basically, my entire adult life's work. I have no say. I have no fight. The thing that a lot of small business owners and why you go into it is you want to control your own destiny. Right. I'm willing to work. There's 24 hours in a day, I'll work 40 hours in a day. I want to do it for myself, and I want to know if I succeed. It's because of me. These people were dealt a hand you cannot play, and they're giving no options. And I mean, look at these structures. They, this well, costs money, this costs everything. This didn't work. Correct. This structure was tried, this restaurant is closed. That doesn't work. So, it, it, and, we're, and that's what they're saying. It's like you're asking us, I've had so many owners be like, they had us build these things, do these things. I invested any money I have, I went to my life savings, and then the rules changed five minutes later. So it's a lack of communication, and um, you know, I, I feel for it. I, I can't imagine being in that position. And it's easy to say, obviously, COVID's a terrible thing, but you know, so is just losing your life's work with no saying it. That's a horrible thing, too. And this is an analogy I always bring up. In World War II, when things were bad in the Depression, no one tells you to stay at home and knuckle under. Now they're telling you the best way to fight is not to. Give up, stop asking questions. This is the rules, adjust to it. Oh, you don't know the rules? Well, you just changed the rules? It's not my problem, adjust to it. Or you could do what a lot of people are doing. They are moving. Right, yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I was in Miami recently and you know, all of New York and LA seems to be there, to be totally honest. Um, they want you to go. Yeah, I know. I like the weather. I told you before off camera, I can't trust my guys. They're too young. And self would be too big of a problem. I wouldn't trust them more. So you would not move Barstool because of Miami's nightlife? Yeah, I can see my... I got, we got a very young company that can't be trusted with the, uh, yeah. with, with the allure of self Beach. Right. But you can trust them in New York City? Well, the city would never... This, now you this, can. This weather in the winter. Uh, the winter is the great equalizer regardless. Well, so for you... The number, when will this stop? You're up 32 million? 27 million. 27 million donated already? Yep. Millions given out? Yep. And you don't just say there's $500. Right. What is your program? 
So what we do is we tell the small business, send us a video, send us your story, and tell us what you need. Tell we don't we don't say, hey, you get this much. Tell us how much money you need for this month, whether that's for payroll, taxes, rent, whatever. Explain it, and then we give them the money if they're approved, and we say we're not only going to be here this month. Every month we'll recheck in with you because. What's the point of giving somebody money if in four months we're in the same situation, they're in the same situation, they're going to go out of business, and we wasted the money. So essentially, once you're in our program, you're in it till this pandemic's done and we can go back to normal. And the beauty of what these conversations, the small business owners, 99% of them, they don't want the money. They are like, we are proud people. We built a successful business. We just need a gap. We need a bridge to when we can go back to doing what we're doing. And they all want to pay it forward. So that's the program. Once you're in, you're in. And, and we tell them, we'll make sure that you're around a lot of these right. businesses for another 40 years when this thing is done. So you have one problem. Your image is a bit of a renegade. You're outliers. Yeah. Look out for Barstool. And if you know who Barstool is, you're like the cool guys. Now you're doing stuff that's really nice. And you're helping out nice people doing nice things. Are you worried about being labeled as no longer the edgy organization with an attitude? No, because... Uh, uh, Do you uh, still have an attitude, Dave? Well, I'm the same guy, but <laughs> it, it, the thing that people... We've always done charity, so people have never said it in the past, but now we're a lot bigger, so this is the biggest scale we've done it. But we've raised money for causes since we started this thing. And listen, this is a great cause. I'm happy we're doing it. We're going to do it for publicity. We did to legitimately help. And I'm sure my personality, it's a little rough around the edges. The people don't like me. I could give them 100 bucks and they'd want 200 So they'll be able to like it. Right. Uh, he is funny. He does not care what people think of him, but he is a great person, great entrepreneur, and deserves a lot of credit. Uh, founder of Barstool. Tomorrow, my sit-down. So we walk the streets in 30-degree weather, and then we sit in one of those makeshift restaurants that are outdoors with heat lamps, and and we'll, we'll talk more to Dave Portnoy, uh, talk about his uh, remarkable adventure with Barstool, and I'll see where the number is tonight. Last night, Jen Psaki hopped on at 7 for her first press conference. I had to take it obviously. But tonight at 7 p.m., it is part two of Dave Portnoy. Now, we're giving you the unedited version. We're just giving you different portions. But you'll see the TV version tonight at 7. Please be there. Uh, Back with your phone calls and more in just a minute. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I think uh, the fact that the three of us are standing here talking about a peaceful transfer of power speaks to the uh, institutional integrity of our country. So this is an unusual thing. We are both trying to come back to normalcy, deal with totally abnormal challenges, and do what we do best, which is try to make a more perfect union. It's an exciting time. We've got to not just listen to folks we agree with, but listen to folks we don't. Uh, and you know, one of my fondest memories of the inauguration was uh, the, the grace and generosity that President Bush showed me and Laura Bush showed Michelle. And it was a reminder that we can have fierce disagreements uh, and yet recognize each other's common humanity and that as Americans, 
uh, we have more in common than what separates us. Yeah, I, I wish he's such a great speaker, President Obama. I, I wish he governed more like that. I wish he reached out. I never even thought Obama and Bush would talk because he was so brutal with him. In fact, I had a montage last night at 7 that was going to show how Barack Obama was just blaming George Bush for the first four years of his presidency. Oh, this economy was a mess. This crater is a Iraq war. Never should have happened. It's a bad war. It's a dumb war. Never stopped. Meanwhile, he pulled out after the surge work that he voted against and never should have happened. Pulled out so quick they all came back. And George Bush never said, I told you. What I would love to see is Bush and Obama, who clearly have respect for each other now, I hope, it seems. Bill Clinton and George Bush hang out anytime they can, anytime they're in town. I know it makes Hillary crazy, but W and 42 get along great. I don't think he's doing well. Uh, everyone was talking about how he fell asleep. It looked like he did, but I don't think he's healthy. So I don't feel comfortable commenting. I thought Bernie Sanders looked typical. I thought that was worth commenting on. Uh, the bad mittens or the unique mittens, I should say, uh, sitting all isolated alone. He couldn't get a date. I mean, isn't there somebody in Vermont that wanted to come with him? I know he's got a wife. I mean, can she make the trip? Uh, and why is he so glum? His guy won. He's doing everything he wants. So uh, what was I getting at? So uh, I would love to see the three of them sit around with videotape, with a host that would play the videotape of them criticizing each other and have them react now. I think people need to see it. Yep, I disagree with you then. Oh, I was so mad at you then. But now we're friends. Now we hang out. You know, remember, Barack Obama opened up George Bush's library. He was there for day one. And I think one of his comments was, you may disagree with George Bush, but it's almost impossible not to like George Bush. And I think those like the good old days. And we remember with uh, Bill Clinton beats uh, H.W., and they end up doing all these things together and being great friends. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, in a matter of moments, California Congressman Daryl Issa on the recall of the governor. He went through it and put Schwarzenegger in place. What? How close is it? As well as how does he feel about the 100-plus executive orders that uh, Joe Biden is signing right now? Tom Cotton's commenting on television. He is extremely unhappy. Remember, Joe. Uh, I think Donald Trump did one. George Bush did one. Barack Obama did one. I think he closed Gitmo. By the way, it never closed. He's already paused the wall. That's going to cost us millions in fines because we have contracts and jobs. He has uh, stopped drilling in Anwar. That was passed through the, uh, through the uh, believe it or not, through the tax reform. So I'm not sure he could do that. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I can go over all of them, but not right now. Also, at the bottom of the hour, John Taffer will be joining us, talking about the hospitality industry in particular, how they've been devastated. What is it going to take to bring them back? How about opening up the cities? How about doing what Florida is doing and Texas is doing around the country? We're all going through the pandemic. Just some are refusing to open up businesses. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Despite that, the things that we've done have been just incredible. And I couldn't have done, them, done it without you. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. 
<laughs> what does that mean? Critical time. President Trump exited with two great speeches, one on tape, one live. He had big crowds, apparently a classy message to his successor left in the Oval Office. But what about the future of the party? We'll talk about it. Number two. 46th president of the United States putting his soul into his first address. He gave the kind of inaugural address our presidents used to give. And we needed this. There was not one part of that that wasn't just medicine in the wound. Exactly. Embarrassing. The phony, uh, the fawning media outdid themselves on day one with softball syrupy analysis and a lack of even a scintilla of curiosity about what he'll actually do. They review and extol the virtues of things Biden, who barely campaigned and ran on absolutely nothing, got steamrolled in the debates. He wasn't Bernie Sanders. Number one. To all those who did not support us, let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. I will be a president for all Americans. All Americans. That's nice. In the, I love it. It was a wordy speech, only uh, lordiest since Reagan. President Joe Biden calls for unity, but his actions say something different. Part of his speech says something strange. And meanwhile, two cities got wrecked last night. Again, Seattle and Portland. Why did he not answer if he's going to bring up white supremacists and act like that is sweeping the country? Why not bring up Antifa, who never stopped burning the city? With me right now is Congressman Darrell Issa. Congressman, uh, did you go to the speech yesterday? I did. I was in attendance. This was my uh, sixth inaugural, uh, my fifth president. And uh, I listened to every word in hopes that uh, I would hear some more unity and a little less uh, uh, of what we heard, which was code for we'll represent everyone as long as uh, you don't mind us just doing what the left wants us to do. It's just a perfect opportunity to say, hey, what happened January 6th is terrible. Uh, This has got to stop if you want to go and say what he said. But why not just bring up and what's happened over the summer and what happened in the spring uh, in cities that still have not recovered from Minneapolis to Kenosha to San Diego, excuse me, to uh, to Portland and Seattle. This is the part I had a problem with a couple of parts, but this one in particular cut for. I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real. But I also know they are not new. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. Is that necessary? I I guess so, right? Uh, Well, it was appropriate for his base, for the left. Uh, You started saying San Diego, but in La Mesa, where we had two of our banks burned and a riot that was out of control, uh, it's all too personal to... uh, to my voters who uh, who saw a lack of law enforcement and inability to do it, a governor who wouldn't uh, uh, rally National Guard until it was too late. So, yes, uh, he's calling for unity, but he's only picking one side to uh, vilify, and that's a problem. I think Republicans have been consistent. We vilify and we appropriately denounce Antifa, but we also vilify and denounce uh, uh, you know, uh, the right when uh, you see extremists uh, like we saw on January 6th, some of whom were very clearly far right groups that we were warned about, but did not take action on until it was too late. 
So Antifa wrecked two cities last night. Have you talked to any Democratic colleagues about using that as an opportunity to be against burning our flag and destroying property? You know, I talked only to Scott Peters, one of my seatmates from San Diego, briefly, uh, and I've talked to Juan Vargas about this. And, you know, candidly, they find themselves in a very difficult situation. They'll, they'll tell you they're sympathetic, but uh, they also uh, say, well, we have to be careful. And that we have to be careful is code for we can't speak about uh, the uh, peaceful protests that stop being peaceful, that uh, – that destroyed so much of the city. Nancy Pelosi just spoke. She was asked about impeachment, which everybody, I think, in a clear mind realizes be ridiculous and divisive and do more to to anger the 74 million that voted Donald Trump than they could possibly imagine. But listen to what she just said. I'll listen with you for the first time. Two things. If you can put any finer point on the um, timing for the articles of impeachment. No. Oh, and it'll be um, soon, as I said. You'll be the first to know. Thank you. Laughs about impeachment. So what do you think is going to happen? What's the latest that you've heard? I believe the Senate is going to do the right thing and recognize that you can't remove from office somebody who's already left office, that uh, it's time to, uh, to move on. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a motion for just that uh, rather than putting our country through a trial, uh, one that clearly – no, no jury would convict the president of inciting a riot, especially when you look at people who came to that rally uh, with the activities and the weapons and the planning. Uh, there's no question at all that uh, it wasn't the president's speech that uh, that caused the uh, the criminal activity. And uh, and lastly, and Brian, this is the one that is so important. Even if the Senate was going to try the president. They would first have to make sure they had the evidence, and we are so far from having all the evidence on these rioters, on these criminals, uh, that doing it in the next week or two would be impossible. So I think the Senate is going to do the right thing and recognize that uh, there's a good reason we don't have a tradition of impeaching people who have already left office. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, You know, looking at Clinton, let's say this Jeffrey Epstein thing pans out with Clinton. Let's make sure we impeach him again. Because we don't like what he did. I, it's it's terrible. Uh, it's a terrible process to go through, and it's all vindictiveness. Although I don't I don't love the president, uh, the choice of doing the president having the speech that day, the place he had it, and say march over to the Capitol. Why even do it? Uh, I I agree that it was it was a, a bridge too far. But there's not a there's not a, a person in the White House that I know that thought they were going to breach the building. And any Trump supporter that attacks a cop does not listen to what Donald Trump stands for. And they attacked a lot of cops. So, Congressman, bring me to California. I was in Florida over the weekend. I could not believe the difference in which they're handling this virus. Per 100,000, their numbers are less than California and New York. What is going on in California? Well, everything that could go wrong is going wrong in California. And Gavin Newsom is the reason. Uh, And I'll just use two states. You mentioned Florida with Ron DeSantis, Uh, aggressive Republican. He's kept his state substantially open. He has a higher percentage of of the vaccine that he's gotten into the arms of his citizens. Uh, And his results, as far as the actual uh, uh, death rate and infection rate, is comparable to California, but with liberty and the economy open. Then you switch to West Virginia, where we have a Democratic government. Governor that has put. He actually switched to Republican. Jim Justice switched to Republican. 
I'm sorry, I apologize. You did see a switch. Uh, But the the fact is that the planning that went on in the year uh, leading up to it causes them to have about three times as many shots in the arm uh, in West Virginia as they do in California. Why? Well, because when they were given a requirement and money to plan, they planned and they executed. And uh, that is exactly what we, we need to do in California, but we're not doing. But, you know, we look, we've got a governor that uh, tells us to wear a mask and then he doesn't wear a mask while he's sitting at a $40,000 dinner with uh, the healthcare workers and they're all around a table. The hypocrisy in California uh, is virtually unlimited and everyone knows it. So where are you in the recall? I know you did this before and you were disappointed with the performance of Governor Schwarzenegger. He took on too many, too many Democratic policies. But in, as you know, governing in California, how do you get anything passed when everybody else around you is a Democrat? Not to make excuses. You know the play-by-play of what it takes with that state. I lived there for four years. But your, your take on the chance of a recall? Well, first of all, I'm very proud of Arnold Schwarzenegger's first term. Uh, I think in the first term, he was a pretty classic Republican in the Pete Wilson uh, sort of image of get as much you can get done, knowing that uh, the fact is the Democrats control the legislature. Second term, not so much. Uh, We now have the same opportunity. Yes, our state is controlled by uh, uh, Democrat supermajorities in the uh, Assembly and the Senate, but those people are in the same position the rest of California is in. They need leadership. They need leadership in the right direction. So uh, will we re- will we elect another Democrat to replace Gavin Newsom? That's possible. It was possible when Arnold got elected. Will we recall Gavin? At this point, I think it's a sure thing that we're going to get the 1.5 million signatures. Uh, that's just a matter of getting it uh, near a pen because the Californians in all parties are signing it. Uh, and then the question is, when you're asked just two questions, do you want him to go yes or no? The answer is going to be yes. The next question is going to be uh, who replaces him. That's currently unknown, but we have no shortage of good candidates, including two uh, good Republicans, uh, one who, uh, John Cox, who's already run, and uh, my own mayor, Mayor Kevin Faulkner, who uh, is extremely popular and would carry a huge part of the crossover vote. Interesting. Uh, I want you to hear what Governor Cuomo said, Mr. Lockdown, Lockout, shut up and sit down or I'll fine you. Listen to what he said a couple of days ago. We simply cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. The cost is too high. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely. I I fell down. That's exactly what Trump's been saying and he's been condemning people for do you expect Governor Newsom to do and say those things now that there's a Democratic president? Absolutely. I expect him to begin in the process of doing a lot of things that he should have done. And and one of the things that he, he clearly should have done is he should have gotten the vaccine into people's arms. Uh, we're doing abysmally uh, in California. Uh, and so I do expect uh, to have some of these changes, but a lot of it's too little too late. You know, one fact that I, I just want your listeners to, to hear is that the bold new agenda of President Biden is a million shots a day, a million shots a day, and 100 million in 100 days. You know, in 36 days, the uh, President Trump put 38 million shots out in the hands of the states. So the only reason uh, that that's bold is because it happens to equal uh, exactly what President Trump has been doing, or slightly less. 
and that's where we are right now is that uh, the bold agenda is to roughly equal what was already going on uh, under President Trump. Yeah, we know. Talk it down, and then you come in and you save the day. Uh, basic uh, politics. And I'm can't, I know it's going to be a matter of moments before we hear him criticizing his predecessor like President Obama did for at least six of his eight years, nonstop blaming Bush. It'll be nonstop blaming Trump. Uh, or we're not going to see him at all. The story's out now that uh, he's going to be, they're going to insulate him pretty well, just like he was insulated during his entire campaign. Congressman Darrell Issa, thanks so much. You're, you're within a hair of getting back to majority. Finish the job. Will do. Thank you, Brian. All right. Back in a moment with your calls, one 408 Then we go inside the hospitality business with the best in the business, John Taffer. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We're about to impeach a guy in Florida, okay? Uh, We're about to impeach a man who's out of office for the express purpose of making sure he can never run again. I think it's unconstitutional. I think it continues to divide the country. I think it puts a cloud over the presidency. It will open up Pandora's box regarding the presidency itself. So I would like the Republican leadership to be more firm. Mitch McConnell has been a good majority leader. Uh, He was indispensable to President Trump of not only doing judges, but everything else that we did. He's a solid conservative, but I'm hoping that he will make an announcement soon saying that impeachment under these circumstances is unwise and unconstitutional. Senator Lindsey Graham doing the right thing. Uh, meanwhile, I just I texted Mark Morgan, being that one of the executive orders, and he was uh, head of Border Patrol, and one of the executive orders stopped the wall. So I said, how many jobs were lost when the wall was stopped last night? He said, we estimate 5,000 jobs, billions of dollars, taxpayer loss, state-of-the-art technology, also part of the wall system. Remember, 270,000 tons of steel ballards have been produced. We will not only have to pay the contractors for the steel produced, but we'll have to either pay them either to destroy it or store it. It is insane. And I'm looking at the Keystone Pipeline. The Wall Street Journal writes up today, Canada played by the rules. His first foreign call is to Justin Trudeau. He says he wants to get better relations with Canada. Do you know environmentally it passed passed environmental tests five separate times with President Obama. They're about to finish and get oil from Canada in through Texas without going on the surface. And they're stopping it on pure ideology. Dave, Lucent WVGA in Valdosta, Georgia. Dave. Brian, good talking to you again. A couple of things before I get to my main point. I just want to make a comment on what your understudy Chris Wallace said about the news uh, doing a few things wrong. They not only did a few things wrong, they lied for four years about Russia, about the dossier, you know, and all that good stuff. And I was watching the inauguration on TV. Yep. Uh, President Biden uh, looked very frail. He looked very old. Not the type of image you want to uh, portray to countries like China, 
Iran and North Korea. Listen, I know 78 year olds that can are still running. Uh, Joe Biden looks old. I was scared to death him going down those stairs. He's had two aneurysms, and they plan on not putting him out much. He didn't campaign much. You're right, David. I'm not worried about the image. You know, some people are heavy. Some people are thin. Some people are strong. It's it's what he does at this point. And now we're not going to see him much on TV. I love that they call themselves the most transparent administration. Barack Obama was the least transparent. Donald Trump was the most transparent. He told you everything he was thinking all the time, and he was out there answering his own questions when he realized his press secretaries weren't getting a fair job. When we come back, John Taffer tells us about business in America today. Is it true that unemployment is going to stay high in places like New York City till 2024? Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You can work through it. You can work through it. We're down 15, 20%. And, how, and when you look around the country, you're off 15%. Not great, but livable. When you look around the country and see shutdown, lockdown, what are your thoughts? Well, remember we talked earlier, I have businesses in New Orleans. New Orleans is phase one, back to phase one, Louisiana phase two. My businesses there are decimated. I mean, they're in bad shape. And it, we've proven that you can work through it. You can work through it if you just are given the responsibility, you take the bull by the horns. That is a typical bar owner. That was in the Keys in Florida. He's there now. Great restaurant owner. Made his money elsewhere. Wanted to get into the hospitality business. And he was doing great. And now he's, everyone's struggling, no matter what your industry is in the pandemic, but no one worse than restaurants and bars. And I looked over. He showed me everything he's doing. He hires entertainers, puts them behind plexiglass. So they're allowed to try. In New York, you're not allowed to try. I think they have heat lamps. Let's say it was probably 27 degrees out. I'm looking at the most popular restaurants in New York. No more than four people, four tables. I think we went out to lunch on Tuesday. I went with Eric and Allison and four tables. I'm not going to name the restaurant. Four tables. And I was able to take my coat off. But it's like I'm eating while camping with cement as a floor. I don't have to explain the challenges to John Taffer, host and executive producer of Bar Rescue, New York Times bestselling author, founder of Taffer's Mixologist, and host of the John Taffer podcast. John, welcome back. Uh, good to be here, Brian. Such such a devastating topic right now. There's so much pain out there, so I'm eager to talk with you. Yeah, I mean, what's your voicemail like? Because you've mentored so many people on television and off. What are you telling them? Well, you know, unfortunately, we are slaves to our government right now in a way we can operate our businesses. It's it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. And you were mentioning it earlier. You look at states. I opened Taffer's Tavern, as you know, in Alpharetta, Georgia. And it's a big restaurant, holds about 220 people. We opened it back in October in the middle of the pandemic, Brian. Five months late, by the way, because of, of all the impacts upon the pandemic and factories and shipping and supplies and all that. But we're performing incredibly well. Our budgets are high. Georgia is an interesting market. In Georgia, people choose not to wear masks. In Georgia, people make choices to keep themselves safe in their own way. New York doesn't seem to trust its citizens. So in New York, you're, you're told you don't have the ability to do this right. We're shutting you down. 
And then you look at other states where they say to the industry, we do trust your ability to be safe. Here's some guidelines. Stay open. It's, it's a premise of government trust over us. And the restaurant industry, if you really think about it, Brian, is better equipped to deal with this than any other retail-based industry. We deal with bacteria, food waste, cleaning surfaces, sanitation, hand washing. All of this is part of the restaurant industry's day-to-day procedures due to bacteria. Now, when virus came into play, the processes is the same. You still wash your hands. You still clean your surfaces. You still do all those things. You're just using a different chemical now to do it with. So to suggest that restaurants aren't equipped to do this safely is is completely absurd, Brian. I suggest we're the best sector of the industry to do it safely. And the other thing that's killing is the curfew in New York. The ones that are open on Long Island outside New York City eat indoors. They're dropping checks at 940. You have a football game on. They're clearing the place out you go to seat somebody at eight they say i just want you to know you only have an hour and a half so that those people want to unwind on a friday maybe have a few extra drinks up that check a little bit that's not happening and that means you don't staff as much that means you don't make as much it also means you're not buying as much food. You're not yeah. buying as much beverages. You're not staffing as much. You're not buying as much paper goods, as much napkins. The supply side impact of this is huge. And you know people aren't talking about that. And the government stimulus programs have fallen short on providing some type of an inventory credit or inventory incentive, Brian. You know, when we look at the restaurants that are starting to reopen, all their food is bad. They're, a lot of their beverage, they even have to change kegs of beer because they go bad. Their inventory cost to reopen is huge. Their PPE cost to reopen is huge with certain guidelines. So the fact of the matter is that there's no stimulus provision for inventory. So we're not feeding the supply side that's so important to the industry. And it's affecting the whole food supply of the nation. Milk is being dumped out of drain. We've seen that. Meats are being wasted. Products are being wasted. In the food service industry, either they sell to the restaurant industry or they sell to the consumer. They don't sell to both. So the meat providers that sell to restaurants are stuck, and it's, it's having a profound impact on the entire supply chain. So here's what, as you know, Dave Portnoy, a, bar, a barstool, he's uh, taken up the cause. By the way, it's sad, but we've had similar interviews for, for 10 months now, you and I. We have. Uh, and, we have. and we had a five-alarm fire in the spring. And now we went through the summer, and now we're in the fall, through the fall, and now we're in the winter, and a lot of these cities have forgotten how to open up, and there's not people there should they get the permission to do it. So that's the other odd thing. you got to get these people back in their building, set up a testing program, and get back to work. Start using the subway, the trains, the buses. The numbers are high in shutdown states, the same as open states like Florida. So I want you to hear what Dave Portnoy said and why he raised $32 million, and it's growing. Well, that's why I'm so passionate about it, because, I mean, Barstool's obviously grown, but I consider it a small business, and it's no overnight success. It took me two decades. We've been doing two decades, 10 years maybe before I turned a profit. If this thing hit at year 10, you rip away basically my entire adult life's work. I have no say. I have no fight. The thing that a lot of small business owners and why you go into it is you want to control your own destiny. Yeah, and that's why he did this, and that's why people are rallying to his cause. But you're paying people because they can't work. They feel great about it, but they also hate the fact that they can't work. 
Of course. You know, my compliments to Dave, who I think you know, Brian, is a dear friend of mine, and I was a nice contributor to his fund, one of the first ones, and came wow. out in support of it. it it's, it's What Dave is doing is fantastic. There's no check I was more pleased to write than the one to Barstool Funds, because it's really uh, 100% of the dollars are feeding down. But let's think about this, and there's a deeper impact on this, Brian. You know, there's a sociological impact of going out to restaurants now, and we've taken that out of people's life cycle. So people now have changed the patterns of their life. So I suggest if New York opened up tomorrow, it doesn't come back tomorrow. These are traffic patterns of people's lifestyles, and they have to ease back into it, and they want to be certain that it's going to happen. And we've talked about this a little in the past is when people come back, they tend to come back in thirds. The first third is younger, more aggressive. They're not scared of the virus. They come right back to the business place. The second third is a little more reserved, Brian. They want to see that it's safe. They want to feel that it's an environment that's responsible, and then they'll come out a few weeks later. But the third third is the certain third. And that certain third has a lot of the disposable income. They're older. They have a, a greater assets in many cases. And they're the last third to come out. So that has a profound impact on a luxury sector of the restaurant industry, upscale dining. So there's a, a demographic impact of this and a society impact of this. Let me share this. And, and what David said is profound, if I can, Brian. People go into small business to control their own destiny. I want to do it myself. So I am not dependent upon the federal government. I am dependent upon me. That's why I do this. A year after COVID, I am now dependent upon the government. This is deep, Brian. So my success, if I live in New York, or have my restaurant in New York, is going to be based upon the stimulus package I get from the government. Are they going to keep me alive? Are they going to keep me going? Absolutely. So the small business person, who's the most independent, the most in desire of controlling their own destiny, we've taken that away from them. Now they're all sitting and waiting for the next stimulus package or hoping barstool where somebody comes through for them. We've taken their self-reliance away from them. That's powerful, Brian. I'm going to bring you to a bigger, and, big, the bigger picture. That you, you know, we've gotten, we've taken for granted this, this free market capitalism, this philosophy where I have a goal in life. My parents believe in me, perhaps maybe they don't. Maybe I have a nest, whatever friends supporting me, maybe they don't. But I'm going to cut my own wake. I'm going to make my mark on society. They can't do that in China. They can't do that. I sadly in Europe anymore. They really can't do that. They maybe more in the UK. You can't do that in almost all these socialists. Or these social, uh, these uh, these social de democratic republics. You could do it here. Whatever your potential is, I'd like to try it. I want to rise up in my company. I want to open up a card store. I want to open up a bar or the luncheonette that we featured with Dave Portnoy that has eight seats in it. That is actually just a big rectangle. That was his dream. In America, you can pursue that dream. Deal with the taxes, legislation, and regulation. And now. In America, we wait for the check because of the pandemic, but you're worried about the next day. So America, that allows you to fulfill your potential, whatever that might be, and overcome obstacles, whatever they may be, is no longer the same country when we come out of this. And that's why some of these governors are so important, allowing people to, to, to trust themselves, get the facts, and live through it. 
and trust each other and trust each other. So now if we think about the sweeping sociological impact of all of this, the uh, uh, individuals are now reacting to the government. They're hesitant to do things until the government clears it, the government gives us. So local politics is really defining, in many cases, the national message. It's, it's difficult to think of it that way, but it's true. And it is local government that has screwed this up, and I believe that the federal government didn't provide the right guidelines so that local government could act more consistently across the country. But it's local government that screwed this up, Brian. Yeah, I agree, because we were not mandated to shut down in Chicago, like every time I bring up New York and California, I get emails from Chicago that don't worry about, don't forget about us. We've been totally throttled. Yeah. You know what's interesting is when we take a look at the sales numbers, and, and uh, I'm involved in a company called Shift4 that uh, does most of the credit card processing for the restaurant industry. So they know how the sales are state by state, zip code by zip code, county by county. New Jersey is tracking ahead of last year in restaurant sales. Connecticut is tracking ahead of last year in restaurant How? sales. And the, reason, and the reason why is all the business from New York has been displaced yeah. to Connecticut and New Jersey. All the people that aren't coming into Manhattan to, uh, to go to work. So the dollars are now being moved from New York State to the states outside. They're still doing business with restaurants, but they're not doing it within New York. So it's interesting how it's impacted different states in different ways, Brian. Yeah, because of course, you, you, George is another one that's wide open and doing well. Yeah. And for example, Minnesota, more uh, more open, Wisconsin, more open and people going to neighboring states to go out to dinner. And they've also complained to Virginia and Maryland, where you have more freedom in Maryland than you do in Virginia, depending on these governors. You know what also I think it is? It's laziness. Instead of going out there and seeing what Lexington, Kentucky is like and, and seeing what Richmond, Virginia is like, they say this is the mandate and this is what we're telling you to do. Walk the streets. Have they put up the plexiglass? Have they have they dealt with their menu? Do they use a QR uh, a QR code in the corner? Uh, have they streamlined their staff? Have they given people an option to eat outside? And when you realize the effort people are putting forward, you say, hey, what does it take to keep you open? What are the complaints you got? What's the positivity rate in the area? How can I help? Instead of rather, how can I hurt? And I'll never forget when Como made his last closing comments. I've decided to close it. He said it proudly rather than sadly. And, and I must say, the way he presented the closure was very bothersome to me because he presented it, again, in this positive, I'm, I'm happy with this. this and, and rather than saying, you know, this is a terrible decision, I'm, I, I'm sorry to have to make it, I feel for the industry, never has any of that compassion uh, uh, been put forth. So it's not only that these decisions are made. In a way, Brian, it's the way they have been made. And I'm very concerned that there's going to be significant shifts to the way we do business. Uh, I'm very good friends with a a CEO of a very large uh, uh, fast service restaurant chain with over 2,000 restaurants. They're now 85% to go. They used to be about 10% to go. So that's their business model now. And they believe that if everybody was vaccinated tomorrow, the entire country, that they'd still be about 60% delivery because people have gotten used to a change in lifestyle. I know there's times that I say, boy, you know, I don't mind being in my house a little more these days. I put in, you know, more things to do and modified my house and such. But there's a sector nobody's talking about, Brian, that I need to mention. And that's the catering and events business. Oh, yeah. So think about this. All the weddings were canceled for this year. 
So now they have to move those wedding dates because a lot of people say, let's push it back to next year. But the dates next year are already booked. So there aren't dates for them to move these events into. So the catering and events industry is in big trouble two years out. If we turn the lights on tomorrow, it'll take them two years to catch up in revenue. I drove down the Vegas Strip this weekend, and you know that's where I live. And it almost brought tears to my eyes. It's empty. And this is convention season. Seven million conventioneers would normally be coming to Las Vegas this time of year. The convention center is dark. There's not one event. Wow. And, and conventions book two, three, four years in advance. So CES, one of the biggest conventions in the world, would be going on right now. It's not. So when we look at the convention impact in New York at Javits, in Chicago at McCormick Place, in Las Vegas, in Orange County, Miami, this is devastating. And it's going to take two to three years for that industry to come out of this. I know. But, Brian, in the case of Las Vegas, it's 30% of the tourism for the entire market. So even if the tourists come back tomorrow, it'll take two years for the conventions to come back. Uh, it's unbelievable, too, because then you got to travel to be there. you got to go to the hotels to stay there. And you got to get hop on the planes and buses and cabs and Ubers and to get there. It's all ripple. Uh, I think thanks for spelling it out in real word. You know, I look at the numbers and they're devastating. But you know the people and you put it in perspective. Uh, John Taffer, thanks so much. You can get John Taffer's podcast. Go get it. It's great. And you can always follow him at John Taffer, J-O-N-T-A-F-F-E-R. Thanks, John. See you soon. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Let's go out to the phone, start to get as many in. Keep in mind, I'll be on at 7 tonight. I want everyone who's listening to watch and tell your friends. You can also always listen and watch this show on Fox Nation. Sal is on the Fox News Radio app, Charlotte, North Carolina. Sal. Hey, Brian. So... I want to unite as a country. Yep. I want us to come together. And I, I totally was at the Biden speech yesterday about uniting. And he had the perfect opportunity to do that yesterday if he didn't, if he didn't sign two of those agreements. Yep. One, the Keystone Pipeline. He could have said, hey, we're going to do a study to see how much this affects climate change. And before we do anything, we're going to make sure we have jobs that those people could go to before we cut off the permit. Right. And the same thing for the wall. Before we shut this down, we're going to see what impact it has on people. In the days of the pandemic, when job, jobs are king, right, when businesses are king, you should not shut down anything until you do a study. And if that's what Obama did before he wanted to get into the, you know, before he wanted to, to prohibit the Keystone Pipeline, he said, we're, we're going to do a study. Why not just do a study and figure out where we're going to displace these people to get jobs before we shut them down? Sal, a couple of things. Number one, you're a New Yorker that transplanted, right? Yes, sir. You got it. Uh, number two, it's going to cost 5,000 jobs. It included technology, not just the wall. It also had road and tech. Number two, so 5,000 jobs. They did five studies on the XL pipeline, zero impact on the environment. So you don't even have to do it again. Same thing in New York City, in New York State. They could be drilling right now and fracking right now. They did impact studies that zero impact. Cuomo nixed it anyway. They're all about ideology. They don't. They care less about the country and more about this charter I've never seen. 
The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to this show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.